Welcome to My Name is Not Steve, the podcast by storytellers about storytelling with people not named Steve. Hey, this is Pete Bauer. And I'm Dorothea Bauer. And we are storytellers. Who like to talk about storytelling. And this is My Name is Not Steve. We are not named Steve. I still am not. People disagree with you, though. Well, openly. You know what's funny is I did actually choose Steven as my confirmation name. So it's technically a valid name to call you then. No, no. No, it is, though, no, because no, my confirmation no, saint. No, no. I could go by that name. No. I actually wanted to change my name no. legally once I was confirmed to include my confirmation saint because that's how Catholic I am. <laughs> Her <laughs> the, name will remain anonymous. The only reason that I chose Stephen as my confirmation name, not the only one, but one of the main ones, was because everyone called me Stephen. I don't really feel like that's a valid saint choice. Well, that... it was the inspiration. It was the, the impetus for me to look up St. Stephen, mm-hmm. you know, the first martyr. Yeah. Keep telling yourself that. (laughs) (laughs) But it is kind of cool, because when you think about it, your name includes the first pope and the first martyr. And as I mentioned before, when my mother called me Peter, she often started with Stephen, and it was (laughs) Peter. So you're Saint Peter. Saint Peter, That's what you're saying. Yeah. Well, you also have a middle name. That will remain forever hidden in the world. (laughs) All of your coworkers keep asking me what it is. Yes. I have not broken. You will die first. I will consider it. It has been great because (laughs) they, (laughs) I just told them the initial, which was F. And so they've been trying to figure it out. And so they've come up with like Falcon, Fidel. Someone called me Lord Farquhar. (laughs) So, yeah. The best nickname I've ever had, aside from the one that you and mom gave me, of course, came out of that conversation, actually, when they came up with Falcon. One of your coworkers, Francie, started calling me Baby Falcon. (laughs) And that is the best nickname ever. (laughs) Yeah, Francie's pretty awesome. Okay, so today we're talking about the unoriginality of stories. So this should be very new and refreshing. (laughs) Yeah, so we're going to have a new take. (laughs) On stories that aren't new at all. Yes. But first, we have to do an update, don't we? Neil and Prey is still available. <laughs> no, we're done with that one. <laughs> Buy it. Review it, please. Yeah, review it, you people who bought it and read it. Come on. Come on. This peeps. is part of the agreement that you enter into when you pay for something. To quote uh, Sheldon, it's a sacred covenant between the reader and the author. Well, that's true. But, you know, to be honest, I'm someone who really likes reviews. I read them. I write them. You I read take my all time. of the terms and conditions <laughs> of apps that you install on your computer. All of them. You will, <laughs> you will actually not install an app. Even if you need it because you haven't had time <laughs> to read the terms and conditions. You and mom are the people who taught me to never sign something without reading it first. When you hit accept on terms and conditions, you are entering into a digital agreement, <laughs> a contractual a agreement with, <laughs> with a company that's taking your information. I just think you should know what you're signing up for. You should. And you should know the process to remove permission that you've granted if you choose to do so. So, let me ask you this. The third from last app you installed, Mm -hmm. how do you reverse the conditions of the terms? Hold on. I have to think of the apps I've installed. (laughs) You actually know? (laughs) (laughs) 
Okay, so the third from the last app I installed was actually the NFL mobile app. Yeah. And um, you just have to write into the company. There's an address. And you can send an email, too, but it's better to have written documentation because it's more legally sound or whatever. You know, um, part of me is very proud of you, and the other (laughs) wants to weep. I think the only part that's proud is the part that your daughter installed the NFL mobile app (laughs) on her phone. (laughs) No, we're not going to talk about Neil and Prey this time, Dorothea. I still want people to review it, though. So I feel like it's worth mentioning. I do have to say something about that. I had in our launch team, this is almost a guilt trip, unintentionally intentional. I had like 30 people download the free book as part of the launch, and they haven't reviewed it. I would guess, though, that a lot of them haven't actually read it. That's probably true. Or they don't like it. Because, well, (laughs) and they are all friends with you, so that would be a a fairly reasonable assumption. But there have been plenty of free books. What's the assumption that they didn't like the book or that's why they didn't review? The people who didn't review it didn't like it. That's the assumption. So so I was agreeing with you. Okay, moving on. Wait a minute. Second point. Wait. Second point is that we have both downloaded tons of free books legally, for the record. (laughs) Check the terms and conditions. (laughs) That we haven't gotten around to reading. Because the ones that that I've spent money on are the ones that... So my guilt trip didn't really work. No. All right. Excellent. Another failure. Well, that's nice. So, um, but I do want to give an update on the second book in the Gamby Wells thriller series. Lost and Found. Lost and Found. And it is done being written at least to the point where we do an internal edit. And then after that, it goes to beta readers. And then after that, it goes to the editor. And then after that, it is done. Very nice. So I'm just waiting on the internal review process, Dorothea. Mm-hmm. So I wonder what the bottleneck is there, I wonder. <laughs> it's probably all of those typos <laughs> <laughs> that I correct on my Kindle. Oh, is that it? Mm-hmm. Mm. Well, we also had your son and my brother's graduation party this past weekend, and that has taken up a great deal of our time in preparing and welcoming family and all that sorts of stuff. You know, Dad, sometimes you have to put family <laughs> above work. Do we? For special events like that, yeah. Yeah, and I made an egregious error in making my son's graduation video where I excluded (laughs) the friends that we have known since you guys were infants together. Well, that's not even the worst part of Gabe's graduation video story. Care to share? It isn't? Mm -mm. What? What what could be, I wonder? (laughs) So when did mom ask you for the first time to start working on that video? Wednesday. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it wasn't six months ago. No, but it was on a Wednesday. (laughs) Yeah, okay, so maybe she requested it months ago, and maybe I forgot about it, and maybe then I didn't really want to do it, and then maybe when I wanted to do it, I couldn't sleep anymore, and maybe I accidentally deleted our very good friends from the video at two in the morning (laughs) when I didn't know what the hell I was doing because I hadn't slept in two days. Although it was funny because we were sitting on the back porch... After the video aired and a bunch of people were talking and hanging out and you were talking to me about the video and saying, man, I can't believe I did that. And I just looked at you like a loving parent (laughs) and said, well, dad, what have we learned? Um, (laughs) That she needs to tell me on a Tuesday. (laughs) Yes, that's it. That's it. So I'm in the process of editing Lost and Found. And once I'm finished with that, we'll go over changes and then send it off to our beta readers. Now, what are you working on, Dorothea? 
nothing relevant to this podcast. <laughs> I had an idea for a novel series. And an awesome idea. You well, don't say that. It, well, I, it may be poorly executed, but the idea is the idea awesome. Is good. Untapped potential. Right. As soon as you try to take advantage of it, then that's where things go wrong. Yeah. But anyway, I had an idea for a novel series that you have helped me to outline, and I have started working on that. So I'm very excited. It really is going to be very cool. I've always said you're a lot better writer than me if you can ever, you know, get around to actually doing it. So when you finish, <laughs> which will be 27 years after my death, it will be really, really impressive. The one thing I can bet about your story, Dorothea, and mine, is that it's not original. And we're back. DC, what just happened? Well, we did a fantastic podcast. Uh, it was probably the best work we've ever done, ever. Undoubtedly. Yeah. And I know this <laughs> because no one will be able to hear it. Mm-hmm. And do you know why, Dorothea? I do, actually. And what is the reason? You are insanely unobservant. <laughs> <laughs> Let me see if I, <laughs> if I understand you correctly. What you're saying is that when when my computer... Which is facing you. ...stopped recording... Which you were managing. You expected me... Who was monitoring the recording. ...to notice it. Yes. Huh. <laughs> well, now I know. So we did a, probably over an hour, right? In all seriousness, yes. yes. We did and I think talk for over an hour. It stopped at about 10 minutes... Yeah, 50 minutes of pure, brilliance. unadulterated brilliance. So you would think with all of the different stories that we see or read or watch on television or whatever, that there would be more than seven basic plots. You would be wrong. True. But <laughs> the, the author, uh, Christopher Booker, actually compiled and kind of consolidated all of the plot lines used in stories down to seven basic plots. So let me read through these really quick so you can understand how all of the stories that we enjoy more than likely will fall into one of these categories. First, there's Overcoming the Monster. This is something like Star Wars, Hunger Games. It's a protagonist setting out to defeat an antagonistic force which threatens either the protagonist or their homeland. You also have rags to riches stories like Cinderella, Aladdin, Little Princess, things like that. You have the quests where the protagonist and some companions set out to either get an object or get to a location. And we actually use this as an example of one of the spoiler alerts in a previous show about a science fiction movie. Some other examples of that are, are things like the Iliad, the Wizard of Oz, Indiana Jones, things like that. Another basic plot is Voyage and Return, where the protagonist goes to a strange land and after overcoming the threats it poses, they return with nothing but the experience. And this is something like Alice in Wonderland or Peter Rabbit. And actually, Sam from The Lord of the Rings has that sort of experience. There's also comedy, which is light and humorous. Things like A Midsummer Night's Dream, Much Ado About Nothing, Bridget Jones' Diary, things like that. And of course, tragedy, where the protagonist is a villain who falls from grace and whose death is a happy ending. That's such an interesting definition, but things like Macbeth... Romeo and Juliet, things like that. And the final one is Rebirth, where the protagonist is a villain and unlikable who redeems himself over the course of the story. For example, the Frog Prince, Beauty and the Beast, Despicable Me. And actually, that Rebirth 
not surprisingly, is the most common storyline used in a lot of Christian movies, where they do what we've talked about before, the Saul to Paul conversion story, where Saul led a bad life and then has an epiphany and then changes his life. So what's amazing to me, Dorothy, is that, and if you really think about it, all these stories that we enjoy kind of fall into those basic categories. That is true. I am going to mention something quickly that we talked about before, which was when I was watching The Amazing Spider-Man, which I know how much you love. Oh, I adore that movie. <laughs> Actually, I, I, bring do, up that movie. I do like it, but you like it a little too much. I really oh, stop. like Just move it on. more than I should. Yes. It's not as good as... As you enjoy it. Yeah, it's weird because I am very critical of movies. Yeah. And I wouldn't put my seal of approval on it. Not the complete seal, but I really do enjoy that movie. It's a guilty pleasure. But at the end of the movie, Spider-Man is sitting in his school class and the teacher is talking about these six or seven common stories. And she said that in her book, it all boils down to one. Who am I? And I think that's definitely true because every character goes through some kind of growth and development, whether that be positive or negative, they do. And watching that character unfold is the majority of what all stories are focused on. Yeah, it's either the main character figuring out who they are or the audience figuring out who they really are. The key thing about this is that if you're ever going to write a story or create a story in any way, just know that you're not going to create an original idea. And that's okay. You're not going to come up with a different plot theme than those seven. The important thing is how you tell the story. And what I love about this, Dorothy, is that it amazes me how stories are intertwined in everything that we do as a species. Every joke we tell, everything we do, even the parables in the Bible are memorable because they're stories. Somehow, as a species, we are hardwired for stories. So even if you're not writing, you know, a painting tells a story, a sculpture tells a story, even what you're doing at work tells a story, or when you're talking to friends at work or at home or out at a bar or whatever, you're telling stories. So it's just inherent in who we are as a species. So it's no surprise then that thousands and thousands of years later, we've run out of new ideas. <laughs> stories are so incredibly powerful. I remember us listening to one podcast where the writer was talking about how in people's brains, the brain cannot distinguish fictional characters from real, whole living people in the way that it categorizes people. That's the reason things like fan fiction exist, because those characters exist in people's minds outside of the story. And I think when you understand that, that your brain genuinely can't process that information differently, you understand why stories become so powerful to you, why they resonate so deeply with you, and why you can learn so much from a character that really only existed on a piece of paper. And when you're creating the characters, they suddenly eventually become real and three-dimensional and have their own will for the same reasons. There are definitely times when I've been writing where I'll want to write a certain line but the character wouldn't say that. Right. Which is an interesting argument because as the writer, they can say whatever I want them to. But if you're really truthful to the character that's developed, you have to be truthful to what they grow to become outside of you. Yeah, it is weird. It's really hard to explain unless you've written someone for long enough time that they kind of grow their own legs and start moving in directions you don't want them to go. But when I was approaching the Gabby Wells thrillers idea, you know, I knew that... I knew it was a teen sleuth type story. 
the same thing as as Nancy Drew, the same thing as Veronica Mars, the same thing as a lot of teen sleuths that have been throughout television and book history. So that wasn't important to me. You know, one of the interesting things I've heard from a lot of independent published authors is, and this seems so opposite of what it should be, but if you want your book to be accepted by people who haven't read your stuff before, the best thing you can do is make it look and sound exactly like something they've already consumed. I don't, that doesn't work really in movies as much. I don't even know if that's entirely true because I, for one, am very interested in every single rogue CIA agent. <laughs> that's true because they keep coming out of the woodwork. But what she was saying is that she does fantasy. And what she was saying is the best thing you can do, and this is she's proven this with her own sales, is to make sure your cover looks a lot like all the other covers in the genre. You make sure that the blurb that's, that talks about your story sounds like all the other blurbs because what people are looking for is something that's familiar with a little bit of difference. They don't want something that's different because they don't know where to put it. If I'm a fan of romance and suddenly you add an alien in it, I don't know where to put that. I don't know if that's sci-fi or romance, so I'm not going to take a chance on it. But if it looks like a romance book I've read before or a romance movie that I've watched before, then I'm going to be comfortable in taking a chance on that because I know my risk is less. And that to me just seems to speak to the whole idea of these basic seven stories that we do like to consume over and over again. How many man versus nature stories do we have to watch and still enjoy? You have the movie San Andreas that just came out. You've had Earthquake. You've had Volcano. You've had 2012. You've had Day After Tomorrow. And they're fun to watch because they're big spectacle stories about man trying to fight back nature, which they can't control. And it's always fun if it's told well. And going back to what you were talking about previously with romantic stories, there are even subcategories in that, that people fall in love with specific types of love stories. For example, you have the brooding hero and the girl who saves his soul, or you have the two best friends who have this unrequited thing going on and then eventually fall in love and realize their feelings for one another. There are specific love stories that people continually consume because that's the love story they enjoy. Right. And then there's the serendipity stories where, you know, people just, well, like the movie Serendipity, <laughs> where, <laughs> where fate seems to push people Serendipitously. Together. Yes. You know, what's interesting is my wife and I have a serendipitous-ishness, Lizzie. Uh, I don't really history. think that's true because is... in all the movies, both of the people remember one another. <laughs> <laughs> all right. I will, I will admit that the first time your mother and I met, she has no memory of me, <laughs> which is probably not a bad thing. But the point is, is that we seem to try to push our lives in different directions and we always ended up back together. And eventually, a couple of years later of hit and miss, we eventually got married. So we kind of lived that sort of romantic life. Aww. Now, Lifetime movies have a history of kind of telling the same story over and over again, and that fits what we're talking about. It's not important that it's all that unique, is that it's it's different enough within the confines of that story type. I have never understood why mom enjoys holiday Lifetime movies so much. It doesn't seem to be something she would enjoy. No. But when, when they're on, it's the only thing on television. Seriously, she will just keep the TV on. She won't even be watching it. She'll be cooking or doing bills and... Somewhere in some woodsy town, there is a technically unavailable girl fallen in love. Yeah. So explain to me 
because I love this, the <laughs> lifetime story for almost all of their Christmas stories. Well, there is a young woman who has a passion she's not really actively pursuing because it's not very business savvy. Right. She's in a relationship with a very business savvy person. Very successful usually. Works a lot. Yep. A little selfish. Mm-hmm. But from the outside, they seem very happy. They've got the nice things. They're successful. Very much in love. She's on her way to do something that is very important when she gets trapped in a very small town mm-hmm. where a handsome lumberjack happens to live. <laughs> yes. And Because that's where they all live. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And no lumberjacks are ever scary. No. No. <laughs> They're not large with an ox. And... She's stuck in this town for a little while and reconnects to her emotions and forgets what it's like to be in a wealthy world. And she falls in love with the lumberjack and it's very beautiful. The thing that I appreciate is that basically, according to Lifetime, if you are a successful businessman in a relationship around Christmas, you're going to get dumped. And you're not going to care because you're too selfish to have a soul. So Right. (laughs) And surprisingly, whenever the woman is on her way home or wherever, wherever she has to go during the holidays, it goes awry. And somehow in today's technological world, she just can't get in touch (laughs) with her boyfriend. So she's isolated with her feelings. Mm -hmm. And it's only then that she realizes that this relationship that she's had that has been very fulfilling to this point is suddenly there's some holes and gaps in it that she's never communicated her feelings to her capitalist boyfriend slash fiance. And only when she talks to the lumberjack slash artist slash whatever, do her true feelings come out. And only then do we find out that her capitalist boyfriend actually intends to sell her business in order to make a crap ton of money for both of them. And the lumberjack slash artist tells her to stick with what she loves. And then she realizes that because all capitalists are evil. <laughs> is always profitable. That's a very nice love story. It but is. I always do kind of feel bad for the boyfriend in that situation, partially because when I was in college, I went away for literally a weekend and I came back and both of my roommates decided they hated me. So coming back from a very short trip and having people decide that suddenly they don't <laughs> want you in their life anymore it kind of hurts. Yeah. And so you know what? I'm the economic businessman in this scenario. (laughs) Maybe we're just misunderstood. Maybe you didn't understand what we were saying. Maybe we're not evil. Yeah. And that you should talk to us before just deciding that we shouldn't be in your life anymore. You know. um, As I unload your baggage. I was going to say step, step back. Just step back. You know what I find funny about those stories is the only way they can make that work is that the capitalist has to be a total a-hole. Really, he's self-absorbed and kind of a jerk and doesn't care about her feelings because otherwise she's the bad guy in this story because she totally dumps the guy who's been nice and helpful and has a secure future for the lumberjack artist who owns a mom-and-pop shop in a small town that no one buys anything from him. It's just funny to me, but it's one of those examples of it isn't an original story. As a matter of fact, it's the same story shown hour after hour for like four or five straight days. And it's okay. It is okay. It's very successful. And there's something comforting in that too, in that if you are sad around the holidays, you can turn on Lifetime and at any given moment, there will be a love story you're going to enjoy. Yep. That's what makes it work. It is. 
Although, quick sidebar, it's really irritating me how common the story in Hollywood is where it's okay to cheat as long as it's true love. Yeah, I hate that. The problems that I see happening continuously with stories nowadays, and this is a complete sidebar from what we were talking about before. Another sidebar? But... It's a dual sidebar. (laughs) Being empowered and being selfish are not the same thing. Right. Looking out for yourself and being selfish are not the same thing. And a lot of times you hear that. You hear characters saying, you have to be selfish every once in a while. And what they're really saying is you have to stick up for yourself and make choices that are healthy for you. But doing that and being selfish are not the same thing because being selfish is acting with complete disregard for anyone else. Right. And that's not empowerment. No, it's not. No. But that's not related at all to what we were talking about. No, but I I appreciate that tangent. (laughs) All of my bitter rantings are coming out in this (laughs) podcast because we have to redo it. (laughs) Wow. Mental note. Screw up next podcast. (laughs) You know, one of the things we talked about, the the man versus nature story, which repeats itself a lot. And one of the ones I watch whenever it's on, for whatever reason, even though the science is crap, is The Day After Tomorrow. And it has two moments, Dorothea, that we are quite fond of. This is also not related to what we were talking about. I know, but it's funny (laughs) as hell. The first is that there's this reporter who's on television during all this cataclysmic weather events. And at one point, he's like, the roads are inaccessible. No one talks that way. Well, reporters do. Well, it's grammatically inaccurate. (laughs) What's great is that it bothers you so much that I go out of my way to say words like it sounding that way you can't just make up your own phonetics (laughs) that's not how language works like i'll go dorothea that is unacceptable and that's the response i get but the best part is how the lead character is a complete jerk in the movie dennis quaid's son jake gyllenhaal is stuck in new york with some schoolmates and this massive snow event is happening and fortunately for him dennis quaid is an arctic explorer kind of environmentalist dude So he has all the gear and the equipment, and he has to get from D.C. to New York as soon as possible. Now, he has two co-workers that volunteer to help Dennis Quaid. Even though Dennis Quaid has been a crappy absentee father, even though he's kind of a jerk, they're like, well, you know, we'll go with you into this biblically intense freeze event to help you save your son. So while they're on the road, Dorothea, what happens? Well, you have to keep in mind that it's been snowing a lot. Like, like epically. The snow's only up to, you know, interstate sign levels. Okay, so we're not (laughs) 10 feet, 12 feet, 20 feet of snow. So they're driving across the snow, and the truck driver accidentally hits a sign for the interstate. And the truck is ruined. They can't back out of it because of these terrible weather conditions that were completely out of the truck driver's (laughs) hands. (laughs) And Dennis Quaid gets really angry, and he looks at him and goes, well, get the snowshoes. We're walking from here. <laughs> like That's a really good line reading. <laughs> and the guy's like, I'm sorry. And it's like, no, you're not sorry. You ran into... A sign that's supposed to be in the air. <laughs> <laughs> you ran into a snow drift that's the size of like a tidal wave. The road ended. Like It wasn't like he could go around. You know what I mean? Skyscrapers became two stories. <laughs> in this storyline, yeah. You could sit jerk. on the Statue of Liberty's crown. And Let's just get that through your head. <laughs> That's how much snow is out there. And spoiler alert, one of the things that happens is that guy who's driving the truck ends up sacrificing himself for the team for a son Dennis Quaid never sees. 
Which is very heroic. Yeah, it is I heroic. And it's a really good scene. <laughs> but that's the same guy who had to apologize because he ran into a mountain of snow. We oh, go back to the story. No, it is a little bit because <laughs> it's not just what you say, but it's not the uniqueness of the story that matters, but how you say it. And that is true. There are some times where, and again, the most important is to make a side with the protagonist. I have to believe. No, I can't. I was going to say, I have to believe there was a better line reading that they shot. But that's impossible because they would have had to have used it. I yeah. Uh, I don't like Dennis Quaid at all in that movie. To be honest, I don't like his character. I think that the other characters are more heroic. Yeah, very much so. And you know, we've talked about that where it's more heroic if the average Joe has to do something extraordinary than an Arctic explorer has to cross snow. And that's a good example, too, of the fact that Dennis Quaid's character in the film knows what's going to happen and people don't listen to him. So he gets very understandably angry. But being right does not make you the hero of the story. Right. Being right and being arrogant aren't the same thing either. But, you know, some of these stories that we repeat over and over again, I mean, going back to before Christ and even in the Bible, you have the David and Goliath story, the underdog story you know i mean rocky is an underdog story any fight movie basically is an underdog story a lot of these movies where a small band of soldiers has to overcome a big army that's an underdog story so that's something that's been around forever one of the most common stories too especially in genres like sci-fi and fantasy are the fish out of water stories oh yeah yeah and I think that's so important because when you're entering a world where you don't know what the rules are, you need a character that also doesn't. Otherwise, you're going to be reading Dune and need a dictionary <laughs> at the back of the book. <laughs> yeah, you want a character that asks the questions that the viewer or the reader are asking themselves. I know we talk about Harry Potter a lot, but something yes. happened in... I'm a fangirl, what can I say? <laughs> something happened in the movies that was such a great fish-out-of-water moment that couldn't be portrayed in the book simply because it was very visual. There's a part in the first story, The Sorcerer's Stone, where Albus Dumbledore is giving rules for the year. He's like, don't do this, do this and this and this, and don't go on to the third floor corridor if you don't want to die a very painful death. And the film immediately cuts to all the freshmen, you know, 11-year-old children looking up at Albus Dumbledore, and all of the kids from Wizarding Families are, like, nodding solemnly, and Harry just has a look on his face like, what the hell kind of school is this? <laughs> Which is our reaction, Which too, right? Which is our That's reaction, like going, yes. what? You don't... I'm sorry, they're 11. What What do you mean die a painful death? And that was a really great fish-out-of-water moment that was conveyed very well in a visual medium. Yeah, the fish-out-of-water story, and what's really great about all of these is that they can be used in any genre. I mean, Star Trek IV The Voyage Home is a science fiction fish-out-of-water story where these guys from the future end up in the 80s in San Francisco and have to adapt to that society. Crocodile Dundee uh, was about an Australian crocodile hunter who ends up in New York. You know, all these fish out of water stories are very funny because they introduce you into that world through that character. And also, like with stories like Crocodile Dundee, even though we understand New York, we kind of identify ourselves as being just an average Joe. And so it gives us the freedom to look at some of the freakazoid aspects of big cities and go, yeah, that is kind of stupid. Dad, don't insult our New York listeners. We have so many. Do we? I hope so. One of the really popular story ideas that is reused over and over again is the road trip story. And what's great about that is that usually the surroundings reflect either the emotional or spiritual or physical state of the character. So if someone's going from like 
a green pasture through a desert and then to, you know, a gold rush, usually that desert part is also where the character has lost all their hope. But that can be used in a whole bunch of different styles too. If you look at one of my favorite movies is It's a Mad, 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 Mad World, where they have to get from one point to another to try to get all this money. And it's hilarious. And then you have movies that's something like The Book of Eli, which is this dystopian story where they have to get from one point to another. It's a very dark story. And the reason that we bring up all these examples is because we're trying to point out to you that you can tell a wide variety of stories with the same basic elements. Right. And one of the greatest examples of that, honestly, to kind of wrap up the example portion of today's podcast is Shakespeare. So many of Shakespeare's stories have been translated into other films. For example, The Lion King is Hamlet. Warm Bodies, which is a zombie movie, is Romeo and Juliet. She's the Man is Twelfth Night. Yeah, the movie O is Othello. In fact, one of the greatest adaptations of Shakespeare that I've ever seen, which I told you about, was when I was in middle school. I was taking this stage presence, moving your body on the stage to convey emotion class at the local theater. And one of the groups in my class did silent Shakespeare. They wore all black. They wore masks that completely covered their face and they had to use their body through being present on stage and through dance to convey the story. And with that, in addition to lights, they completely told the story that Shakespeare wrote just without dialogue. And it was incredible. What I learned from that was that it is possible to, quote, steal like an artist, unquote. That's a very common phrase that's used, especially in the creative world. But you can honor people's creative endeavors and be inspired by them, especially as a writer, without stealing from it. Right, because as we've talked about before, I love Hitchcock and I love mysteries. So what I really try to do with the Gabby Wells thrillers is I try to make the first half of it a mystery and the second half of it a thriller. That's kind of the plan. We'll see if that continues. But what's really cool about it, too, is that each book can be one of these storylines or one of these themes. You know, the first book kind of falls under the underdog of little old Gabby, a high school freshman trying to stop a cataclysmic event. And after Neil and Prey, no one will ever refer to her as little old Gabby. (laughs) (laughs) No. Ever again. No. But in Lost and Found, it's more of a road trip story, honestly. So that's the kind of cool thing about it. I don't mind that. Actually, one of the things I learned in screenplays, and this goes to what we're talking about here, is that screenplays all have the same basic structure. And certain things happen in the first 10 minutes, certain things happen at 30 minutes, 60 minutes, 90 minutes, and then when it's over. When you watch a movie, if you're aware of this structure, you'll see it all the time. And the reason it's used over and over again is because it's effective. And your job as a screenwriter is to take that skeleton and put meat and skin and body on that skeleton. It's your job to take that known structure and make it something special. And it's the same with these. If you want to tell a wronged man story like Hitchcock loved to tell about someone who's been wrongly accused, if that's what you enjoy, then tell that story. But just tell it in your own voice, in your own style. As I said, I love Hitchcock stories. So this Gabby Wells thriller series, it kind of lives in a Hitchcockian universe where Gabby faces very bad things and has to struggle through them. But that's me taking all of the influences in my life stealing like an artist and then making it my own if you're interested in telling a story and again it doesn't have to be in writing it can be in film it can be in painting it can be in poetry it can be in sculpture whatever it's okay don't feel like you have to create something that's never existed before because we're human beings human nature hasn't changed ever so you don't expect to tell something that's never been told before 
What people want to experience is telling something that they're familiar with in a new way. Pull from what inspires you. I personally am a huge fan of the sci-fi and fantasy genres simply because the rules that exist in those forms of writing are completely different. I remember talking to you one day about one sci-fi show that I watch, and I figured out just before they revealed what happened, what was going to happen, and it was completely shocking, and for a moment I was filled with dread, because I knew what was going to happen, and it was terrible, and what happened could not exist in a non-sci-fi world. I love that the rules are different, because anything is possible in those genres, And those stories have inspired me in my own writing far more than the typical case of the week kind of stories when you look at television. So not to say that those stories are bad, but that what inspires me are the worlds without rules where anything can happen and the risk is much greater in those situations. So those have really been the situations that have inspired me. Right. And that reminded me of something, too, to talk about how it doesn't have to be a new story idea. It's all about execution. I mean, how many hospital TV shows have there been, right? How many cop shows are there? How many horror movies that basically tell the same boogeyman story over and over again in different incarnations are there? It's not about originality. It's about execution. It was actually funny. There was one year where almost all of the cop shows that I watch had similar plot elements that season. And I was just watching going, did all of you guys sit in the same writer's room? (laughs) I remember that. It was weird. (laughs) It was really strange because there were like three or four of the shows that had the same plot elements. And they all happened like within weeks of each other. Right. So it wasn't like, oh, this one happened. Let me copy it. It was, we planned this out together across networks. So, Dorothea, it's time for our spoiler alert. Oh, I love that sound. That's awesome. so good. So the one thing that this topic today has reminded me of is that almost all the spoilers fit into like a couple of basic categories too which has made this podcast really hard for us <laughs> you know when we first started we were like gosh there's so many things that irritate us because they're so obvious and then once we nailed a couple of them we're like oh that's that's kind of the same thing it goes back to this exact idea which is there's only seven basic plots well there's only like seven or eight basic spoilers and i'll be pretty honest I'm pretty arrogant when I know what's going to happen. No. I'm usually sitting on the couch yelling to you guys going, listen to my brilliance. Guess who was right? Guess who guessed the bad guy? There was one day we were watching a movie and like five minutes in, I was like, I think I know who it is. And I was all proud of myself and I was right. But that's not the point. (laughs) The point is, is that there's spoilers overlap as well. Not to say that we're wrong and that we can't guess what's going to happen. We can. We've just told you most of those ways already. (laughs) (laughs) So this is the second to last show of this first season, we're going to call it. Next week, we have a special episode that Dorothy is going to put together for you. I hope you enjoy it. Yep. And then... It won't be bitter at all, I promise. No, not like (laughs) this. And then in a couple weeks after that, we're going to start season two. We'll change things up just a little bit. And if you have any feedback that you want to give us about what you would like to see the show evolve into as we go along, please let us know. You can contact us at contactus at sunlightpress.com. And that's S-O-N-L-I-G-H-T press.com. Or you can leave a comment in the comment section below. Please feel free to leave reviews and rate us on iTunes. And if your name is Steve and you would like to defend it... Give us your best shot. Next season. We're closed for business until then. Unless your confirmation name is Steve, then it's okay. Whatever, Steve. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Dorothea. 
Second to last episode. Of season one. Mm-hmm. Dun, dun, dun. Even though we're about to wrap up season one, I will say it's been a lot of fun because these are the conversations that we have. This is, we talk about story all the time. We talk about these different things. And the hope is that you'll be informed about story. You'll see what we're thinking about when we put together our stories for you. This has been a really good learning experience for us doing this first season. I think in anything, when you first get started, there's going to be a few road bumps. And I mean, speed bumps. Oh my gosh, I can't. (laughs) (laughs) You know, Dorothea, what I think it's been probably the most fun for you (laughs) is telling us personal details about your life. Oh my gosh, why do you, I hate you. (laughs) (laughs) Because you love opening up. It's who you are. And I just think it's great that we have a forum here where you're so comfortable about doing that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. The best part is that it's online forever. Yeah, that's even better. (laughs) So great. All right. Well, you know what, Dad? (laughs) When we started this podcast, when we started this podcast last or at the beginning of this year, whenever we started it, your memory is awesome. was that you would share personal stories, not that I would, for the record. So next week, we're going to have a fun show, and we'll see you then. Bye.